This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to The Clear Spot on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. The sounds that you've just heard perhaps might clue you in to the fact that today's Clear Spot is all about a classic video game console from the 1980s. And the sounds you've heard were the boot-up noise and the opening sounds to the game Mindstorm that came bundled with the Vectrex, an all-in-one video game machine that was released by MB in the UK, GCE in America, and Bandai in Japan. If you're listening to this program on its original day of broadcast, then tomorrow is Devil's Night, a day that is traditionally known in parts of America as a day of mischief and revelry where minor misdemeanors take place on the streets of cities. The day after, of course, is Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, and the day after that is, of course, International Play or Vectrex Day. Having established why this is the date for doing a show about the Vectrex, if you haven't heard of the machine before, it looks like a miniature television, or for people who know computers from the early 80s, perhaps an Apple Macintosh Classic computer if you were to spray it black and turn the screen through 90 degrees. The Vectrex was unique for being the first games machine to be released which had a built-in screen, Although there had been smaller LCD-based games machines, this was the first with a vector-based display, which is a bit like an oscilloscope, in that all the games are created by drawing lines on the screen. As such, obviously all the games are made of vector graphics rather than sprites or pixels, and so you always just see the outlines of shapes on the screen, with the exception of one or two games that push the beams into making the approximation of pixels, but those are definitely the exception to the rule. In the 1980s, a number of vector games were popular in arcades, including Battlezone, Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, Tron and Tempest. A lot of the games available for the Vectrex were conversions of vector-based games that you found in arcades, such as Cosmic Chasm, Solar Quest, Star Castle, Space Wars and Armor Attack. More recently, homebrew creators have converted other vector games from the time to the console, including Sundance, Warrior, and War of the Worlds, with all three of these titles released by Fury Software in America. The Vectrex was released in America in 1982 and Europe and Japan in 1983. Unfortunately, there was a crash in the video games industry in subsequent years, with too many consoles flooding the market and the Vectrex was a victim of this oversaturation. However, as it was marketed as much as a children's toy as a games machine, it's a fairly robust product. Indeed, I once dropped my Vectrex by accident off a shelf, bounced off the sofa and landed on the floor, making a small crack in the casing, but otherwise worked perfectly fine afterwards. It's worth mentioning that because of the mechanics of the Vectrex, all of the graphics generated by the game are black and white. In order for programmers to therefore create colour games, like the original Space Invaders game in arcades, they bring out coloured transparent overlays which insert in front of the screen, 
and as the vector graphics move around the screen behind the overlay, they take on the different colours from the transparency. And in my interview later in the show with Christoph Tutz, we talk about his issues getting hold of screen printed overlays for his games. In the late 1990s, programmers started making new games for the Vectrex, starting with 1996's release of various games by John Donzilla, which are a mix of new games and again more adaptations of classic arcade titles. In recent years, the homebrew scene has massively expanded for the Vectrex. Within the last two months alone, seeing the releases of games USA Zombie Apocalypse, Vector Blade, and a remixed version of the originally unreleased Vectrex game, Dark Tower. In today's Clear Spot, I'm talking to two of the programmers of new games, Chris Malcolm, who runs Binary Star Software in Scotland, and Christoph Tutz, who runs Tutsoft in Belgium. However, to start off with, to give you a flavour of the Vectrex, I'm talking to acclaimed graphic novelist Zara Slattery. Zara was shortlisted earlier this year for the Arts Foundation Comics Award for her forthcoming graphic novel Coma Comic, which is being published by Myriad Editions next year. Zara was a gamer in her youth and through a newly shared interest in the Vectrex has started playing video games again. The reason I invited you on the show is because a few weeks ago, uh, through happenstance, uh, you and a couple of other friends came over for dinner and I proudly showed off my Vectrex, as you do, and suddenly I found this enthusiasm for video games that I didn't know in you before. Uh, And you were saying that it comes from a misspent youth. It certainly does. And my eyes lit up when I saw your game. And I was in a trance, a trance I haven't been in for about, gosh, 34 years or so. Wow. That old. Yeah. I spent a lot of my um, youth in arcades and down the fair and (laughs) other places Um, and uh, playing lots of uh, video games and watching other people play lots of video games as well. Mm. So, yes. I mean, it's really interesting uh, how these things kind of work as a mnemonic trigger, to use a posh term, that you hear a bit of music and all of a sudden you can remember the whole song or you smell some food cooking and all of a sudden you can remember eating it. And obviously it was like this for you, you know, seeing a a game on the Vectrex that all of these (laughs) memories of being in arcades came flooding back. It's the lights, it's the movement, it's like it's the feeling more than anything else. And I've got a terrible memory. I kind of like, I little bits I can remember but I kind of think gosh you know I just remember the feeling and and you know I'm, I guess I'm kind of like I'm not a very sporty person dreadful at things like rounders I'd mm. be the far fielder you know netball all my mates played you know netball I'm oh, brilliant so I would be goalkeeper and I was a really bad goalkeeper you know <laughs> I can never do handstands I kind of like do really pretty anything sporty you know I just wasn't very good I mean I could draw and I was like really good at that but I couldn't just couldn't I thought I had really bad hand-eye coordination you know I, I couldn't catch a ball I was I'd be like my eyes would be closed and I'd be like I don't <laughs> come over here and I'd run away from it or something but then I, I actually you know when I was a teenager I could I played video games and I was really good and that was a lot of hand-eye coordination, mm. and just and I could focus in on that, and um, and also I was a pool shark as well. Mm. So I really, you know, some things I could do really well, and that again is hand-eye coordination and a bit of maths. So mm. I think actually, um, 
Or maybe it's those fine movements of a joystick or a pool cue as opposed to suddenly having to jump yeah. in the air and catch I a ball. Liked, I liked being able to see where things might go. Not when things are coming at me, but mm. seeing where, you know, maybe it's the going away or anything mm-hmm. rather than coming forward. But then in the games I, I kind of like, particularly game which your your Vectrix game kind of reminded me of, it was just, it was kind of like coming forward and you had to shoot them going around. And oh my <laughs> goodness, it was just... It was joy. Actually, I was good at that. Mm. I could do that, you know. Do you remember what it was called? I do. Well, I didn't. And then I had to go and... Um, <laughs> my memory's terrible. And then I had to go and check it out. So it was um, it was The Tempest. Ah, and yes. I looked it up the other night on kind of like... Because um, I knew I was going to touch you on uh, YouTube. And oh my goodness, it was just joy watching mm. it. And I was transfixed like I was when you got mm. your game out. And I was just slightly hypnotised by it, you know. Um, mm. And asteroids as well. I played ah. asteroids, so it was the kind of like um, it's the shooting games okay. that you kind of like. But you saw where they were coming from, mm. you know. You well, got the, the Vectrex, measure of them. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's one of the reasons the machine is ideal for you because the game that comes built into it, uh, Mindstorm, is a version of asteroids. Yeah. I guess they weren't allowed to get the official rights to it for some reason. And so what they've done is in asteroids, the asteroids themselves um, are convex, while the mines in Mindstorm are concave. Okay. So instead of being a rounded shape, they're a sort of child ah, star-like of shape, which yeah. was, I guess, enough to get around copyright. <laughs> There's Tsunami, which is Tempest for the Vectrex, the ideal machine. Yeah, I think it's that grid. I think mm. it's a love that you can actually, you can see them just folding their way up towards mm. you. And it's just, um, yeah. The adrenaline, the blood's <laughs> pumping. <laughs> yeah. I remember kind of, you know, I, I started going to the arcades when I was quite young. You know, mm. I um, did lots of classes. My sister did more classes like ballet and tennis and all these <laughs> things. And and then um, eventually got to do the class I really wanted to do. It was going off to um, an art teacher, an after school one. It was the thing that I just had a passion for. So I'd go and do my sort of art class and then I'd sort of, before I went home, I got off the bus in town. <laughs> I went down to the arcades. <laughs> um, yeah. But then loads of kids did because, you know, it was right in the middle of town. And, you know, we all gravitated there from all, mm. all different, kind of like, you know, from one end of town to the other. So I was in the um, north part of town. And you just, you know, it was very, very social. Mm. And, um, and, you know, lots of kids would play the fruit, fruit machines and things, but... I never, I was never tempted to play those, and we'd hang around and watch people throw their money at them. <laughs> but it wasn't that didn't wasn't something that interested me, mm. you know. Um, well, I suppose you feel a bit more like you're getting value for money with a video game. You get, I don't know, five ten minutes worth of yeah. entertainment as opposed to twenty seconds, yeah. and that's it of some flashing lights and yeah, some, and then <laughs> back in again, repeat, back in again, repeat. Yeah, no, I liked it because, and there was always a bit of a thrill if you were doing really well. And then people would come and lean on, mm. you know, on the games next to you and come <laughs> like, watch what you're doing. You could see your social status yes. rising <laughs> with like, every level that you this. complete. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I actually, it was, I think with the Tempest when that came, and I, I think I'd been <laughs> hanging out of the arcades for a few years, and a bit of an old timer by then. Mm. And then when this game arrived, it was um, in a room off on the side, and it was a slightly darker room. Mm. So, you know, we had a, one street in particular in town that went from the main 
shopping street um, that was a very beautiful street and um, a large um, monument, a big war memorial. And and then the street took you down to the promenade and Funland at the end. <laughs> and and it was full of, um, you know, rock shops and, mm. you know, about how many arcades? About four or five arcades wow. and bigger ones and smaller ones. Oh, yes. Actually, there were a couple of streets. But that, that's where we used to hang out. And then there would be some rooms that were on the side that would be the darkened rooms that were fantastic for kind of like neon <laughs> lit games. So the Tempest ended up in like a neon uh-huh. in, in the dark room with all the other neons, which was very 80s, mm. you know, very Max Headroom. Do you have any thoughts why it was those particular neon type games that attracted you, you know? I don't know. Well, I think that was quite good. I felt mm. that was naturally quite good. And Something it, about the aesthetics. The aesthetics and, yeah, I guess like, I, could understand, I could understand it. You know, <laughs> it was contained. Mm. Um, I liked how they moved. It was very kind of like satisfying watching mm. it, these objects moving towards you and the sound as well. Mm. Well, and also, you know, obviously trying to read too much into it. You're a comic book artist now. And so maybe do think of things in terms of grids and lines, in terms of how you express yourself on the page. And games like Tempest and the other uh, vector games that were popular in the 80s, like Tron and Star Wars Mm. and um, Battlezone. Again, it's almost like, you know, with comics, you pencil a page, you ink the pencil, you colour the inks. It's almost like it's stripped back. Yeah. a stage so you're seeing the inked pencils without seeing the the finished burnished yeah. art yeah it's interesting because i think um i spent a lot of probably most of my 20s and a good portion of my 30s actually resisting panels <laughs> and boundaries and anything that was meant to be in their place i, I needed i needed to break out of that mm. and um you know even the fact that the materials i used to use kind of like there were no straight lines not at all but as I've had to to tame my materials and tame my drawing I need structure Mm. so I'm amazed at how much I rely on grids and I enjoy the grid and then I enjoy seeing having worked on you know big projects I'm working on now which is kind of like over 200 pages and working on a nine panel grid and just seeing the variations of my nine panel grid Mm. gives me an enormous amount of pleasure actually seeing how I've done that. So at some point when I've got time, when I finish the book, I might go back hmm. and actually kind of like try and make a grid of my grids. Yeah. So I can actually <laughs> see the process, see um, the beats, as it were, you know, of, of my storytelling, because I know it's like I'm working in beats of three. Hmm. And when I make marks, it's kind of like there's actually a beat of four. Hmm. So um, I think about things when I draw in a very in a very lyrical sense, the whole movement, the whole process, and it is all about beats. And I guess like going back to the game, I just loved the kind of, oh gosh, the, um, maybe it was it's that combination of uh, the sound and the movement. And then maybe it's kind of like it's come back all of these years later, yeah. that little thing about, and it's kind of like fed in. And maybe it, it kind of like helped develop my drawing style, I think. Hmm. I don't know, it just it does, did it? But the hand-eye coordination was probably there already mm. in drawing and, and observational drawing, very much so. But that's probably why I was quite good at doing that as opposed to doing catching mm. balls because mm. my it's you know what I'm looking at and when I'm moving my mm. my hand, it's kind of like it's it's always very 
very much connected mm. and it's it's much much closer if that makes sense yeah well that's what, what i was do. getting at earlier yeah. that it's it's fine movements of the hand and the wrist yeah. rather than really exaggerated movements of the arm yeah and distance as well. <laughs> you know <laughs> and again you know it's like with pool playing you know there's a there's the there's the angles on that which are very very satisfying when you get it right mm. you know you're having to calculate where you're going to go can you set up for your next move and of course you can't really do that on a electrics game you can, <laughs> you've got to you've got to respond that's about mm. responding to it mm. as opposed to you setting it up or does it respond to you, the Vectrix game? The, the well, it de- game? Temp- well, I have never thought I don't, of that. I don't know if temp- it depends how good the AI in it is. It probably wasn't back in the it 80s. It probably wasn't back in the 80s, or indeed people who do versions, Tempest for the Vectrix. I mean, I'd love to see. There's a guy called uh, Jeff Minter um, who has sort of worked for Atari on and off the years and is obsessed with Tempest. He's done about five different really? versions of the same game for different platforms. Wow. If we were talking about a different games machine today, I would show you Tempest 3000 on the new one or Tempest 4000 for the Xbox. <laughs> that would be that takes us in a different direction. Uh, so maybe we, we need to get Jeff to work on the Vectrex. But but no, I mean talking about games that respond to you. I don't know if there are any games for the Trex that have kind of AI built into them. Certainly there are. It is a thing in a lot of modern games. Yeah that it sort of generates the levels based on how clever it thinks you are or the kind of the baddies react differently as they so work that's, out. That's you know. a different sort of setup sort of game though, isn't yeah. it? And I don't yeah. play I don't play any video games now. I think mm. you know, I think we had a Wii that broke a few <laughs> years ago and we played Super Mario and that's as much interaction I have now with a with mm. a sort of like a game. That's something that's slightly passed me by. Mm. But I, I I can imagine it be a I, would, I probably would get into a Tempest game if it sort of like started to respond to you mm. and tried to, so you had to respond to it. I, I mm. like, well, you are, you are responding to it, but I, I like, I, yeah. I think that would be a very exciting game. Well, that's the thing. I mean, with video games, in a way, you either are good at them because you've got very good reactions or you get good at them because you remember that the baddies arrive in the same positions yes every time and you just learn it yeah. even if it's unconsciously you i know. guess it's a bit like chess isn't it yeah it's sort of like you know and that's another thing i used to quite oh my god grids are already there <laughs> i used to be very good at chess <laughs> I, I say i used to be so crikey oh wow i hadn't really thought it's only now alex i'm making all these connections my and it's goodness. like you're freaking me out it's all coming together oh dear well speaking of lines and grids and sounds uh should we fire up the Vectrex and you can have a go on Tsunami. I'd love to, thank you. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) So. Probably button four to continue. Where's the volume? Oh, look at that. It's just the shapes are just lovely, aren't they? Mm. What are the options? Oh, would you prefer to have a joystick as you're holding right now? Or would you like a spinner? Ooh, can I have a go at the spinner? Yes, I might have a go at the joystick. (laughs) (laughs) Just to counter the grids. But it's got that motion. Yes. So, um, yeah. Mm. I'm very rusty. (laughs) Our listeners can't see the screen. So what do I do with this? Um, So I guess press down. Yeah, and I've chosen spinner. I guess then it'll be one of the buttons. I don't know what the hell a compass is. Oh! (gasps) Oh, look at that. oh my goodness. Oh gosh. 
Uh, I've not actually tried the game yet with a spinner, so we'll find out. Uh, I'll give it a go and then. Okay. Ooh. Oh no, it's the wrong thing. Oh, you swine. <gasps> do you know what it is? <laughs> go on. I do get the satisfaction when I'm driving. <laughs> I swear a lot. And it's the same joy. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's near, it's similar, isn't it? Oh gosh. What, driving is similar to playing tennis? No, to the tennis. Oh yes. It's funny, I, my, my, I can hear but my ear is glowing with warmth of joy and happiness. <laughs> Did you stop playing these games? Um, in general. <gasps> oh, you swing. I'm trying not to swear. You answer your question. Uh, well, as a kid, um, like I said, I was in these coastal towns, um, and we must have moved to Littlehampton, which is the place I remember most for having an arcade. Yeah. Um, how old would I have been then? I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something yeah, like that. Perfect age to, yeah. uh, to be let loose in there. On your own, wandering down to the arcade. Definitely. Well, then I remember being gutted that as time went on, there was a lack of investment in the uh, arcade at Littlehampton. And when machines broke down, they just got rid of them. And so it was just fewer and fewer. And it's place started to look more and more like a warehouse rather than, Yeah, and then, like, I guess the floor, you know what the floors are like. And then we could tape across the floors. And I guess that would just be, like, because it gets slightly ripped as they move machines. And it's just like, yeah... Mm. So that Tsunami, which is a Tempest clone, there's also... That's quite nice. That's the only one that's that's the closest. Yeah. Um, But there's also Wormhole. The Uh, I don't know if this works with the spinner. This has got funky music. (laughs) Take the girl out the eight twos. Take the girl out the girl. Uh, Press up to play, I think it said. There you go. So, what am I doing? Ooh, ooh. Oh no. Oh. Uh, Try button one or two, maybe. Ooh, what are you doing? So, am I shooting? That's button one. So it's the same gameplay as Tempest, but it's without the grid. So. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, someone needs to do a spinner hack for this. Sorry, I can't speak now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we found your metier. <laughs> I can't even say the word, I'm salivating. <laughs> I don't know what the line does. It's to show it's the end of the level or something. Oh, 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 oh. So for the benefit of listeners uh, at home, uh, Zara is currently playing Wormhole, uh, a game by John Donzilla, which was first released at the turn of the century and is available on various compilation cartridges. (laughs) So that one, this this one's appealing then. Is it the the visceral thrill of things coming towards you and shooting at them and having to react? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think right. 
I, I, I'm, kind of like, I'm thinking that I'm in control and I'm so not. <laughs> Oh, that that wasn't fair. <laughs> so there are for people who can't see the game, um, there are alien ships heading towards the outside of the screen, and the player cr controls a ship that rotates in a circle around the outside, shooting inwards towards the baddies that are heading towards you. I seem to have oh two lasers now. Yeah, obviously you nice. picked up an upgrade or something. I did. I did. <gasps> One ship left. Oh, do you know what though? These fingers. You're out of practice. Oh, they so are. I can. I can. It's been a while. They've been there. I should plug in the auto fire adapter. You got one? Yes. <laughs> oh. Deaded. There's another one on this compilation that I thought you might like. It's a, a really good, again, it's a homebrew game, so you can't buy it as an individual cartridge called Hera Primera, <laughs> which is. Uh, and it's kind of on a grid again. Um, but this time you can move forwards and backwards in space, okay. and it's got funky music. And you get five lives. Oh, oh my god! They look so familiar. Those shapes. So the monsters in this are actually quite simple geometric shapes. They're like, yeah. I don't know, they are like bats the, or... Yeah, and they're like the uh, Tempest shapes as well. Mm. I did use some little game board. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I'm not. I don't think I've got this. That's not a good sound, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so she says having this, another go. So this would be a challenge that I would probably... So I can go away from it. Ah, I can't go away from it. That, I, I definitely stick with this one. Oh, the okay. Because ah, the challenge level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. So you can, you can dodge them. Yes. Oh, gosh. That's actually quite nice, isn't it? Mm. Oh, you got They're really difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's really deserving oh. of uh, a proper release, this game. It's terrific. Yeah. So good. And I think How the writer just. Did you play this one? Hmm? Did you play this one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's terrific. So is it quite frustrating watching me playing it? Thinking, no, oh, no, I would do no, it that way. No, no. Oh, a little bit. Give me the control. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the thing when you're watching somebody play, you're mm. kind of like, yeah, okay, okay, and you and it gets so addictive, and then you want to just carry on mm. complaining, and and you're like, no, you've got to go. <laughs> so somebody else can have a go. <laughs> So the author of this just released it for free on the internet wow. and it's amazing. You know, considering other games, Whoa. you know, they can charge 40 or 50 quid for a new release and this one's free and wow. it's just as good. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. The, you know, the spectrum of pricing it's, and availability. It's, it's, yeah, because it's quite complex, isn't it? Mm. And I guess it does respond to what you're doing, you know, the fact mm. is that like, they're coming behind you, like you go back and then they go, oh, that's not, that's, you can't escape, you know? <laughs> 
So those little stars are kind of like really just like... So you can see the oil you... Oh, I didn't do it. I wanted to get to a thousand. That's oh, well. a bad score! Next time. Oh, wow. <laughs> My other two guests on today's show have written games for the Vectrex. Uh, so perhaps you could try their games okay. <laughs> and politely yes. <laughs> give some feedback. That would be amazing. Okay. Um, <laughs> this game is called Every Day is Halloween. This is written by a guy called Chris Malcolm, whose company is called Binary Star Software, and he's based in Glasgow. And it comes with a little pumpkin... <gasps> Oh. Sticking out of the cartridge. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's very sweet. Yes. Stick that in. And... Does it glow as well? Of course it does. Of course it glows. Oh, hello. So, press. So, yeah. Is uh, it? Which four one? is normally. Four. Oh, wow. Look at that. Right. I've got to take my punch off. <laughs> So on screen, we see rotating uh, ghosts and bats, and the date is October the 1st. Uh, you play a pumpkin, and every time you press fire, it oh. shoots the uh, stalk out of the top of its head. So I'm just going to like right and left, aren't I? Yeah. So it's quite an old school kind of shooter. Oh. It's got that, I don't know, Space Invaders, Gallagher, Galaxians type thing going on, but Halloween themed and a glowing pumpkin. <laughs> Right, I've got to get a measure of this. First time, just... Oh! Oh! <laughs> Is that your high score there? Uh, no, I think the, 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 the 10,000 high score came built into the game. <laughs> okay, I've got to try again. Right. So, I might it might take me a minute to get it. So... Oh, got you. Right, I am a very impatient person. <laughs> I'm having to exercise my patience. Oh, oh yes, I nearly got you. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was better than the first time I played. <laughs> I kind of like uh, my mother always used to tell me off for being impatient, and I thought she was just saying that for the fun of it, <laughs> as you know parents do. And actually, now I realise that she. <laughs> Had a point. Well, there's oh. a strategy to games. Yeah. Well, it's just the, the whole the beat of it, isn't it? It's mm. the pace of it. And you have to just kind of like... Mm. Is that it? Have I done... No, have you I haven't completed the left? first level. <laughs> <laughs> have you completed it? How many levels have you done? Uh, four or five. <gasps> oh! I've been practising. Have you? For, um... Oh! Uh... International <laughs> for uh, International Play or Vectrex Day, which is uh, November first, which is Sunday. Okay. Um, there are various games that, that people compete for, and then enter their high scores. And oh, whoever gets the okay. best high score gets some kind of prize. Ah, oh, so uh, and this is one of them. Okay. So, so you've been <laughs> what's your high score? Uh, on this, gosh, what was it? Um, couple of thousand, I think. <gasps> It's not well terribly done. generous, the scoring. I think it's 10 points for a bat, 25 oh. for a ghost, or something like that. <gasps> that was just 
Not fair. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting that the um, the Vectrex scene at the moment is truly international. That the guy who wrote this is based in Scotland. My other guest on today's show is based in Belgium. The guys who have created an adapter that lets you use Mega Drive, Sega Genesis uh, joypads on the machine are based in Australia. And they're now coming up with a device that plugs a Raspberry Pi into the Vectrex so that you can get more advanced graphics. And then obviously there's a variety of Americans writing games. Completed level one. It It is now October the 2nd. I'm just being more patient. Well done. It's so hard to be patient, but I am. Uh, There's some guys in France who've just brought out a game called USA Zombie Apocalypse. So it feels like a really international scene, which is great. And it's so weird that so many people have latched onto this games machine that first came out 36 years ago and are still writing new games for it. Something to do with the glowing graphics that are unlike anything else on the market, maybe? I don't know. They're very appealing. I think it's the simplicity of it. And like, <laughs> the, I do like just the simplicity. You know, mm. the concentration, but it's like, oh, oh! <laughs> Should we try you out on... Yes, please! I do feel a sense of achievement, though. Good, because you did. completed October the 1st. <laughs> I did, I did. And, and I nearly got October the 2nd. I so nearly did. <laughs> we'll have to get every day as Halloween into the browser version of the Vectrex so that you can compete in International Play Your Vectrex Day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the next game I'm going to try on comes with an overlay. So I'm removing the generic rainbow overlay. Um, and... I thought we'd try you out on Vexor Patrol, mm-hmm. which is a conversion of an old arcade game called Moon Patrol, where you control a moon buggy going along the surface of the moon, and you're being attacked by UFOs above and uh, creatures to the right. Okay. Um, and also you have to jump over craters in the lunar surface and boulders that are in your path. Oh. But it has a this lovely might chip be tune. tie in with when I stopped playing games. <laughs> <laughs> it's that from around the same era, like, though. Yeah, that was that was the. Uh, oh God, what were they called? Yeah, I think. Do you know? Actually, I I illustrated a background for a game. Really? I did years ago. Um, right, what am I doing here? So you're the little. Um, I'm a little buggy, thingy. and I'm player one. Oh, I love that player one. Oh, that was the thing. Always choosing. Are we can do play one or play two. Oh, no, I didn't. I was talking. You know, that choice where you're going to do play one or play two, or you're going to have it all to yourself. Um, no, I, the competition was good. You always have to have play two because it was just good to share. So, Absolutely. What am I doing? There we go. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, left and right, obviously, to speed up or slow down. Yeah. And then four to fire up and forwards, and then three to oh, jump. Oh. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, definitely, when my my relationship with games started to change, this was not my forte. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, it's the uh, it's the spinnies that were ah, mine. Let's see. Is it? Yeah, it's three to ah. jump. Ah. The spinnies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the soundtrack. Though. It's really Ooh, catchy. Yeah. I am going to have to make noises too. Oh, where do I shoot? No, uh, uh, oh, what? Oh! 
Yeah, no, I illustrated again mm. when um, for CBBC huh. um, years and years ago, and it was at the oh blighter. Um, <laughs> it was at the oh, of course it is. I have to have another go. It was at the uh, relaunch of Jack and Nori, huh. and they um, and I did two backgrounds. For, actually, it's Brighton. Ah, I'm not good at this. <laughs> um, it's like when you, when you get a pet, a dog, and it's like you make the noises that you just wouldn't, <laughs> you just wouldn't make. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, the relaunch of Jack and Nori, and um, so kids were invited to create characters that would do exactly this sort of. Oh yeah, um, do <laughs> do exactly this sort of. Uh, Oh, that was not fair! How can I get over there? Oh, 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 that was good. Oh, you shoot those. Yeah, yes, yeah. you do. Sorry, I'll be with you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, it's like a great big fart noise, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite joyous. Hmm. Right. So yes, kids were invited to um, create the characters that would. Um, that would do exactly what I'm doing now, that would travel. Okay. That's just, indeed. Um, so I did uh, a kind of like a, what, what were the backgrounds? So how long ago was that? Probably about 14 years ago. Mm. Um, oh, these ones create creators, so keep an ooh, eye on what. I was keeping an eye on it and I wasn't looking what it was doing. So where did the, the game turn up? Was it online? Or? Yeah, yeah. Ah. So it was on the CBBC website. Ah. So I, I did a kind of like, like a snowy landscape, loads of kind of like, um, just, I, my, just don't do that. It's linear. I it's just, in a straight I, line and you I, like it to be in a circle. I like, I like to move around. Mm. It's, I, I guess it's like, again, it's a, it's an open patience thing. Could be. And I, I'm always sort of trying to circumnavigate around things and uh, I just can't, like, always, yeah, I guess, like, the, the works for personalities don't know, that just doesn't work to mine. But yeah, I did a sort of, like, a snowy background and then another one was, um, gosh, what was it? Like a, yeah, it was all snow. So this one with snowflakes, badly drawn snowflakes, really badly drawn snowflakes. Another one was, like, an, um, an ice lake. Um, so it was, like, morning, evening and night. Yeah, hmm. it was good fun. Interesting. I don't think I got beyond... Oh, look at that. That's cute. I don't think I got beyond um, level one on, a, on, <laughs> oh, on, on, the, on the background, <laughs> but um, stashed away mm. somewhere. But Long, mm. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting how these retro games go in and out of fashion, that a few years ago, chip tunes were all the rage, people making music using the technology that's in these old machines. So you get lovely things like the cover of Walking on the Moon by the Police, which is playing right yes. now. Yes! I prefer this version. <laughs> the kind of kids who were into uh, chip tunes a few years ago, which seemed to tie into the release of, to tie back into comics, um, Scott Pilgrim. I think they're missing out on not playing in the Vectrex, because I think this would be right up their street. You know, the kind of retro nature mm. of it, but also the fact that people are using this retro technology to make new games and new music and new graphics. Mm. Is it quite... I guess it's... Is it sort of, like, more accessible than people making their own games? Because you just, like, do you just need, like, 
less kit or less... I don't know. I mean, I was talking to, to both of the other guests about it. Um, and it, it certainly involves a bit of faff. Um, so you, whatever programming language it is that you write these games on, um, I think there's something called uh, Veed, um, which is used for writing Vectrex games. You, you write your Vectrex game, then you have to burn it to a little chip. Mm. And so I think you can get a thing that plugs into the PC that writes to the chip. Then you solder the chip to a, a, a printed circuit board. Then you put the printed circuit board, or not, in a cartridge to fit into the vector. Sounds like the complexity of making comics right from the Well, beginning. indeed, <laughs> indeed. Layer upon layer upon layer. Some people sell their Vectrex games just as the little circuit board. Oh. But I, you can then buy the cartridges to put them in, to, to sort of protect them and make them fit better into the machine. Yeah. Ooh. Too soon. Impatient, eager. I, I've just got to get a little bit further on, and then I can... I do, I do feel a bit like a dealer who's feeding someone's addiction. <laughs> yes. you, knew, you knew that, Alex. You knew that. The moment you brought this up a few weeks ago and you saw my, my eyes just come out, I think my pupils just come out <laughs> wider. Like... Well, so over the next few days, you're going to be loading the Vectrex emulator on the PC and entering... <laughs> yes, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> I don't know what to do that. Maybe when I finish my deadline. Ooh, ooh, yes, lovely. Um, maybe when I finish my deadline. I do like a joystick though. Um, can you get a joystick and plug that in? Yeah. To the PC. Yes. Um, maybe that'll get my Christmas list. Um, when I finish my deadline. Oh hello. Oh no! God damn. Um. That's as it should be. Um, I think I will celebrate by doing this. Cool. Just binging. It's the thing to do. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> For more info about Zara Slattery's work, please go to zaraslattery.com. That's Z A R A S L A T T. E-R-Y dot com. Her graphic novel, Coma Comic, an amazing and immersive account of her unfortunate hospitalization due to severe illness which led to a coma and an amputation, is ultimately life-affirming as the narrative mixes the story of her family coming to terms with Zara's situation and Zara herself enduring weird lucid dreams while in a medically induced coma. And if you'd like to know more about the artists who were shortlisted for the Arts Foundation Comics Prize, you can find a recording of Comics Laureate Hannah Berry talking to all the finalists in a panel discussion at the Cartoon Museum earlier this year on our website, www.panelborders.wordpress.com. If you're curious about the games that Zara played in the second half of our interview, she was enjoying Tsunami, a conversion of the arcade game Tempest, Wormhole, a version of the game Gyrus, which is also being worked on by one of the guests later in the show, Christoph Tutz, Hera Primera, a conversion of Juno First, and Tsunami, Wormhole and Hera Primera are homebrew games that you can download free from the internet or they can be found on various multi-carts sold by the likes of Sean Kelly 
and Madtronics. She also played Every Day is Halloween, which is available on Cartridge Now from Binary Star Software, and Vector Patrol, a conversion of the arcade classic Moon Patrol, available now from Tutsoft. And the authors of both of these games are my interviewees in the second half of the show. Coming up next, you'll hear my interview with Chris Malcolm, the founder of Binary Star Software, a homebrew outlet in Scotland who have released a number of new Vectrex titles in recent years, including such games as Every Day is Halloween and Galaxy Wars Space Launcher, as well as his remixing of original Vectrex games in order to make them support peripherals such as trackballs and spinner controllers originally intended for the Atari, giving a number of these games high score functionality, and very recently working with Vectrex peripherals manufacturer Sean Kelly in finishing the game Dark Tower that was meant to be released for the Vectrex by MB in the 1980s and now has finally been completed in 2020. To give you a flavour of the sound of some of Chris's work, here's an extract from the music you'll hear when playing Galaxy Wars Space Launcher. create Vectrex games under the name Binary Star Software and you've brought out a variety of titles over the last few years from kind of collections of simple utilities to new games and you've also helped other publishers in adapting classic titles either to different kinds of controllers or recently uh, in the case of Sean Kelly you've helped him finish Dark Tower. So all sorts yes. of different kinds of Vectrex activity. How did you first get involved in programming for the machine? I've owned uh, Vectrex since about, um, I think, 2002, 2004-ish. Um, uh, you know, I was first drawn to it just by the, you know, the vectors themselves. I'd never seen one back in, uh, you know, when it was originally released in 1982. Hmm. Um, I'd have been about six at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I just missed that and I got my start on with computers with the Commodore 64. So Vectrex was something that passed me by entirely. I mean, I'd seen the Atari 2600 and things at the time, but um, not uh, the Vectrex, I guess, you know, it was only available in a few retailers in, in the UK, I think Woolworths, hmm. um, and I'm not sure of many others, to be honest. But um, so uh, around 2002, I got one, and I originally had the intention to... Um, to write some, uh, to make some uh, visuals and, and things like that for um, use in uh, live sets. I used to mm. gig quite a lot of music. Um, 
And so I'd go around and tinkered with it a little, but um, really just played the games and enjoyed the games and, and kind of uh, got a flashcard. And uh, really, that was it for quite a, quite a long time. And then I think around 2012, I really started tinkering um, with programming for it. Mm. And I first put out a little um, sort of Space Invaders-inspired uh, free game called Nagoya Attack at that time. Mm-hmm which was actually inspired by a sort of an arcade test board uh, that Taito had made, which is a sort of, yeah, a, a variation on Space Invaders. Mm. Yeah, so I started tinkering around with that, and um, because I, I have a keen interest in arcade games, and just games in general, especially arcade games, though, and um, uh, I also play pinball. Around that same time as I'd started, started tinkering i bumped into james who, who you'll know james watt who you'll know as uh, the administrator one one of the administrators on the vectrex fans unite facebook group mm. and so we'd bu- we'd just b- bumped into each other at a scottish uh, sort of pinball and arcade event and got chatting and i'd said i was i was tinkering with the vectrex and uh, he owned a Vectrex, and he was like, "Oh, I'd like to get interested in, um, mm. into into programming that myself." So we sort of made a made a deal <laughs> there and then that uh, he would design a, a little circuit board PCB so I could produce my own homebrew, and I'd teach him how to uh, program an assembly language for the Vectrex. Mm. So yeah, well, I was going to ask about that because. If you're a programmer in 2020 and want to get into the Vectrex, there's actually a whole support network that exists. You can buy the little circuit boards from one manufacturer. You can buy the chips to go on them for another. You can buy the shells to put the uh, uh, circuit board in from another manufacturer. So actually, it's relatively easy. But back then, presumably none of that was in place. So it was far more kind of handmade if you wanted to actually produce stuff to sell to the public. Yes, well, um, I think there were some people uh, producing them, but I, I, I think I didn't really have the contacts at that time. You know, I didn't know the people <laughs> to, to ask or anything. And um, obviously, that this was before the the uh, Facebook group popped up, which really seems to be the hub mm. of activity for uh, for everyone these days. Um, there were there was just the Vector Gaming Forum, I think. Was probably about the only place, and uh, I guess there was news groups and things, but I hadn't really been on those. So there was, yeah, there was less activity in general um, when I, I started, um, and I don't think Vide, V I D, Chris Salomon, aka Malbin's amazing uh, all-in-one sort of development environment ah. that exists now for for homebrewers, and obviously there's that that encompasses you know uh, integrated. Dev- design environment where you can program you can there's various utilities to to, for graphics and sound and all manner of stuff in that now um but at the time i get got involved um and to be honest still to this day i most of the time i use a a command line compiler Hmm. (laughs) i haven't really changed my my process too much from when i I started so I, i still edit basically in a notepad (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm pretty old school (laughs) when it comes (laughs) to these things. Um, Or just very lazy and changing (laughs) changing (laughs) my... um. But yeah, uh, to go back to your original question, I didn't really know where to get PCBs from, but obviously I had a few homebrews at the time, so I just kind of gave Jim a 
a homebrew uh, PCB to essentially clone ah, <laughs> and okay. and, uh, and get us started. Because ah. um, I got into the Vectrex. Um, I first bought mine in 1996, which was when the first homebrews came out. Um, right, yes. and, and they were being made by uh, a guy who was cutting open old Intellivision cartridges and swapping out the content. So, you know, when you picked up the cartridge, you had to be careful not to actually cut yourself on the end of it because it obviously hacked at the thing with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously that, that was the whole start of this uh, kind of uh, homebrew industry. Yeah, I think that was that was before um, Sean uh, Kelly hmm. uh, got, got a hold of uh, the original... Oh, I don't think there is the original molds, but uh, he he had he produced a, a set of molds so we could all have these um, brand new um, manufactured cartridge shells. Mm. Um, so before that, unfortunately, a lot of uh, Intellivision cartridges had to die. <laughs> 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 so very very bad for the Intellivision scene, I guess. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've, I own I think one of those myself. My my protector is one of those old Intellivision oh. carts with the with the bottom sort of sawn off. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thankfully, um, Sean, uh, Sean, I think Sean is the only source for for those, the only guy with the, the mold for the the actual cartridge shells themselves. Mm. There's a few people producing the PCBs, and obviously, the EPROMs are just standard EPROMs, um, and some people are using flash ROMs and, and mm. whatnot. Uh, depends on the, the circuit board you're using, you know. Yeah. Well, well you, you say EPROMs are just EPROMs, but if I was like, you know, a, a casual game creator using some sort of tool on the PC, my next question would be, well, how on earth do you get the um, software off the PC onto a little chip that you put onto the circuit board? Presumably there are devices that you can plug in and you can buy blank ones and so on and so forth. Yes, obviously, in, in, you know, we're living in modern times, so mm. these, these things are far easier to do now than they, they would have been back in the 80s when the, the Vectrex was originally being develop, developed for. But, um, you know, the principles are very much the same. I mean, obviously, it's far easier now because we have emulators, so we don't necessarily test on real hardware. I mean, it's it's always advisable to test on real hardware because there are some differences and and things, and you know, you can see even variations between Vectrex machines depending on how they're calibrated and whatnot. So it's always it's always a good idea to test on as many different machines as possible. Mm. But you know, if you if you're say using and to uh, someone starting out, I would definitely advise to go look at uh, VIDE, VIDE, uh, Malbans, um, all in one. Because that will allow you to get started, learn. There's a lot of documentation there already. There's a lot of example code. There's really everything uh, a, a programmer needs to get started uh, writing for the Vectrex in mm. that. And you can produce binaries that will run on the inbuilt emulator or, you know, any other Vectrex emulator for that matter. Mm, sure. So, so that will compile down to a binary. And basically, all you need to do at that point is burn it onto a ROM and any EEPROM writer. Like I use a one called the GQ4X4 or something like that. It's a fairly common one. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so you can you know you can go to any um, component um, hmm. place like Farnell or CPC or, or wherever and buy EEPROMs and burn them onto those those chips. Put them onto a, a circuit board like those produced by um, Jim Watt. 
and these can, those can be had at uh, his website. I think uh, if you contact him via mm. clockworkrobot.com. Mm. So yeah, and, and um, as I said before, the shells can be purchased from uh, Sean Kelly. Mm. So really, there's there's no barrier anymore. You can certainly get started immediately and be producing homebrew relatively easily these days. But obviously, one thing that you've done, um, I mean, a first of all, it's really nice to play Vectrex games on a Vectrex rather than an emulator because you have that whole glowing oscilloscope screen thing going on. But also, yeah, yeah. you've taken advantage of the fact that presumably when you create these EPROMs and put them in a circuit board, you can also send a little bit of power out in other directions. I'm clearly out of my depth here. Because you've brought out a couple of limited edition cartridges, a Christmas one a few years ago that had a glowing Christmas tree stuck on the end of it, and more recently, yeah. uh, a Halloween-themed game that has a glowing pumpkin on it. So yeah. uh, there obviously is this ability to send a little burst of power to an LED that you plug into the circuit board, which is a really kind of cool physical thing that you can do when you're making these games. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a, I mean, there's a uh, software-controlled pin on the cartridge port itself. It's called PB6. It's usually used for bank switching, like, um, which is when the Vectrex can only ever release. Well, there is a special cases such as the Vectorblade Homebrew, which came out recently. But ge in general, um, the Vectrex can see only 32k of ROM at any one time. So any larger um, program has to be banked into multiple banks of 32K. So you'll be running code in, in that one 32K section of a ROM. And then if, if you have to jump to some new sets of levels or something else, that would be in, in another bank of ROM, which would, you would jump to using the BB, PV6 line to flip between, you know, a standard configuration would be a 64K ROM where you've got bank zero and bank one and that software controlled line would bank between bank zero and bank one so you would just flip it up and down and uh, that's really essentially what i'm doing when i'm controlling an led like that hmm. so i'm just controlling that line in in the case of um uh, every day is halloween the the game itself is is within that 132k bank so i can use that line for something else which is just, <laughs> just switching an led on and off mm. or whatever but that can also be used uh, for other purposes you know you could use it as a serial connection to some hardware within the cartridge um as well and i've done similar sort of things that things like that before I, I just enjoy tinkering around if i have a silly idea i'm more than likely going to do it <laughs> <laughs> One nice thing about the, the Vectrex is it obviously came out at a time where there was a standard joystick port so that means Atari controllers from the early 80s will plug into the Vectrex and you've taken advantage of that by slightly rewriting some of the original games so that they either work with an Atari driving controller so that you can rotate it to control what's on screen and you've also adapted a couple of the old games to work with a trackball Yes. Was that just out of a, an interest in tinkering, or was it when you were playing these games you thought, actually, this would be more fun with a driving controller, or this would be more fun with a trackball than the standard Vectrex joystick? Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. I mean, uh, there have been other people that made um, spinner hacks. That's uh, using a rotary controller, such as the Atari driving controller, mm. uh, in port 2 to, <laughs> to rotate the ship. You know, obviously, a lot of... Um, 
the games on the Vectrex, uh, such as the built-in game Mindstorm. They, they have rotational controls anyway, so having a, a spinner or a rotary dial really makes sense for the mm. controls for those games because they are sort of rotate left, rotate right, <laughs> thrust, fire, typical sort of control methods. So, um, and I've always enjoyed spinner type games. One of my favorite arcade games is, is Mad Planets, which uses a joystick and a spinner. And um, I've always really loved Tempest. So I have a, I have a love for those control methods and, and strange control methods uh, as well, because um, as I say, in my love of arcade games, I like arcade games that have non-standard controls. Mm. Find them very interesting, and it's not often things that you can't replicate so easily in the home. In the home, you know. So yeah. for the trackball, again, you know, I was just well, I noticed that the Atari trackball was uh, signals were coming in on basically buttons one to four on the Vectrex. So mm. I thought, well, surely I can read that, and if you read it at a fast enough rate, we should be able to get trackball controls working on the Vectrex. And sure enough, that works. So, um, obviously, one great trackball-controlled game in the arcade is Missile Command. Mm. And um, John Dunzilla, the sort of legendary um, homebrewer um, from the early days of homebrew uh, on the Vectrex, uh, did several versions of, of Patriots. And I thought, what better thing to hack for, mm. <laughs> for uh, trackball support than uh, Missile Command. So, mm. I did that and also um, Starhawk. Uh, one of the original era Vectrex games mm. because I felt that could probably benefit from from a, a trackball control. Mm. There weren't many other games I could think of uh, to hack, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Those ones were the obvious choices. Yeah, nice. So like I said, you, you've hacked various games, including adding uh, high scores to some of the original games as well. But as yeah. on top of that, you've created your own original games. I'm particularly fond of your two-game compilation, Galaxy Wars. And in that, it's a sort of odd kind of shoot-em-up where you're controlling a missile where you actually have to crash into things. And then yeah. that uh, alternates with a game which is like a space version of uh, Frogger. Where did yeah. the idea for that come from? Both exist originally as arcade games. Galaxy Wars, I think, was produced by Universal. Hmm. And uh, Space Launcher was kind of, I, I think they came out around the same time, so it's difficult to say who ripped off who. <laughs> but, uh, but Nintendo um, made a very similar game called Space Launcher. Ah. And uh, yeah, which, as you say, it does feel a little frogger, like you kind of go up to the top of the screen and then return back. But uh, I've been listening to... Um, Victor Mar Marland and Sean Hawley, they do a, a podcast called the 10P Arcade Podcast. Mm. And uh, one they'd featured Space Launcher one time. It'd been the first time I'd ever heard of it, and he challenged someone to make a Vectrex version. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and because of that, you know, because I'd seen um, Galaxy Wars also, they were so similar, I, I decided to put them both together and sort of, mash them up in, in the you, you know there's one mode where you can play as galaxy wars one mode where you can play space launcher levels only mm. and galaxy wars sl which is basically alternating levels from each game mm. so you know i use a little uh, um license to change, switch the game up a little but basically have the same sort of feel as those those original arcade games mm. And like I said earlier, the most recent game that you've re-released is Every Day is Halloween, We're available with glowing pumpkin option. And um, 
You've also put online a tournament version of the game for the International Play Your Vectrex Day, which is at the start of next month. I guess that's a kind of like fun event to be involved in as well. Absolutely. I don't often um, actually play the games to to try and get a high score and win something. It's a fun fun event. Helmut uh, Muller organises every year. Uh, well, for 10 years now, it's, this is uh, the 10th, 10th year it's been running. So we're just encouraging people to go back and play certain Vectrex games that perhaps they might not have spent a lot of time with or check out some homebrews that perhaps they've not uh, checked out themselves as well. So I think it's a good, a good thing for the scene in general. It keeps people excited about the games, both the old ones and the new ones. I made the, the competition version basically on request as someone had noticed there's a bit of an exploit you can you can use on uh, every day's Halloween. Because I've, I've set the life extends quite low, there's a way to basically almost stay on the first level and keep on basically suicide and keep generating your score up. So, ah. <laughs> so I, made a, I made a competition version to uh, get, get away that. from that exploit. Huh. And there's a, a couple of... Um, Cheats that uh, I don't I don't think many people know about, but I disabled those also, <laughs> just so there was no cheating in the in the competition. You know? Nice. I mean, like I said, I bought my Vectrex in the late '90s, but then haven't used it for years. Indeed, it was kind of like sitting in a box, and I moved from London to Brighton and only recently unpacked it. And so I've only kind of been playing with it more generally in recent months uh, during lockdown. But it feels like I've kind of gone on to the Vectrex scene at just the right moment, as there almost seems to be a new game coming out every couple of weeks. Does it astonish you that 36 years after the machine came out, there's such a kind of like homebrew scene for it? I think, I mean, yes, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it is astonishing. I think um, the Vectrex scene out of, you know, many, especially considering the, the um, small number of machines that probably sold back <laughs> back in the day, um, the, the level of support it has now is just phenomenal. Mm. But I think it's because it's a unique machine. There's, there's really nothing like it. I mean... Mm. Um, for having an inbuilt vector monitor, I mean vector monitors themselves are just you know even even in the arcade, those vector games were produced for a, quite a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe three or four years or something. Um, so even in the arcade, there's perhaps thirty odd titles, and Vec- the Vectrex itself has far more than that. Now mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even know what the the actual number is, but I imagine it's well over 100 by now mm. including homebrew and original titles so yeah it's it's and that's not even getting uh, you know involved in all the brand new hardware that continues to be released mm. uh, at the moment be it the the Pytrex <laughs> and uh, the vec fever and so many other things that are really taking the vectrex to new levels mm. entirely by freeing up the, the, some of the constraints of the original system, that is, the, like the Pytrex and the Vec Fever, basically halt the CPU and allow, basically allow a program to run on a, a separate CPU on the, mm. on the cartridge and free up the Vectrex really for drawing and making sounds and reading the control inputs, which just allows you, allows you to do far more in real time. Like mm. you, you, could, you could do real-time 3D calculations Mm. etc so you can you can have much more um, interesting and complex games happening on these brand new cartridges that are coming out now yeah 
No, I mean, the, the VEC fever is, is kind of out of nearly any normal human being's pockets. But um, if they bring out the Pytrex at a very affordable price, then then yeah, yeah I, I, it'll be um, very interesting to see what kind of advanced games come out in the next few years based on this new technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's just been released to developers at the moment. I bought one recently and I'm just waiting on it arriving. I'm sure I'll start tinkering uh, once it does. But yes, it, it's it's really going to usher in a whole new era of games, I think, much more complex uh, games and also emulation mm. of um, vector arcade games. That's something that the Vect Fever does natively as well. But uh, unfortunately, as you say, the Vect Fever is not... Uh, not terribly uh, easy to get a hold of, and now the, the you know the second-hand prices for yeah. for these are, are just through the roof. Well, yeah, I was keeping an eye out of curiosity on um, eBay, and one went for fourteen hundred pounds a couple of weeks ago, and another yeah. for twelve hundred. So that's it. Slightly yeah, I think insane. We were all stunned by it. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy money. But you know, the, the fact that is the Vect Fever pretty much plays every mm. Vector arcade game imaginable so if that's really important to you then i guess it, it, it's that valuable to to some people but uh certainly i wouldn't pay that, <laughs> pay that money it's crazy and yeah hopefully the pytrex will sort of resolve these these things anyway uh, and make it much more affordable yeah to the average person and in terms of your output like i said you've just re-released every day as halloween on cartridge and you recently announced on facebook uh, a new spinner collection so i guess you've yeah. got a number of titles in the works uh, yeah i mean i always have um unfortunately the last couple of years i've really been dogged by uh, some physical problems which is making making hard for me to, mm. to program at my usual rate but um it's just that, you know, I've got repetitive strain injury and tendonitis in, in one arm, so it, it makes it very difficult yeah. um, sometimes. Um, but yes, I, I have I, a num- <laughs> over 10 probably open wow. projects at the moment. So, yeah, uh, at the moment, I'm, I've promised myself not to start anything more without finishing <laughs> <laughs> all these open projects. But um, yeah, as you say, the, the spin out, which is just a small collection of uh, little games um, with spinner controls and I'll be out, out fairly soon. I have a game called Piano Keys, which is a, a sort of, not a rhythm game, more of a melodic action game or something um, that's coming out fairly soon also. And um, I'll have a, a light gun game that is earmarked for this year, beginning the next year, hopefully um, oh. coming out as well. And that's using a, a Sega Master System light phaser using an adapter ah. plugged into port 2. So if well. anyone wants to play those light gun games, get a second-hand Master System gun now before the prices go up because all the other <laughs> yeah. Vectrex fans want one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think they're, they're, fairly, they're, fairly, uh, they're fairly plentiful, so hopefully it shouldn't be a, a big deal. But uh, yes, there's also instructions on my own website, uh, binarystarsoftware.com on how to make your own adapter um, cool. to, to plug to, uh, the, the light phaser to the Vectrex. Because uh, as, it, as it stands, I wouldn't, I wouldn't plug one in without the adapter. It might uh, harm something with the Vectrex. Okay. Uh, be careful with these things. For more info about Chris Malcolm's Vectrex games, released by Binary Star Software, please go to his website, binarystarsoftware.com. 
On the Binary Star website, you can find downloads of a number of Chris's games, which can be played in Vectrex emulators on the PC, or if you want to buy a Flash-based Vectrex cart and then insert them to the machine, you can enjoy them that way. If you'd like to buy Chris's games on original cartridges, you can do so via eBay, and if you'd like to do so, go to tinyurl.com stroke binary star eBay. Two collections of Chris Malcolm's work on various bits of software can be bought from Packrat video games in America. Bits and Bytes is a collection of short games and utilities, and Chris has also worked on their release of the compilation of various versions of Patriots, John Donzilla's conversion of Missile Command for the Vectrex, and Chris adapted the controls of these games so that if you plug an Atari trackball from the 1980s into the Vectrex, you can control the games with the trackball, approximating closer the way that Missile Command was played in arcades. Bits and Bytes and Patriots can be found at packratvg.com. P-A-C-K-R-A-T-V-G.com. His most recent release a remixed level and animation for the previously unreleased game Dark Tower can be bought from Sean Kelly's site vectrexmulti.com where you can also find his classic multicart which includes a collection of all of the original Vectrex games as well as various homebrew titles from around the world. The last interview you'll hear in today's show is with Christoph Tutz, a Vectrex programmer based in Belgium who has brought out a trio of amazing adaptations of classic arcade games, Moon Patrol, Time Pilot, and Galaxians, as Vector Patrol, Vector Pilot, and Vectrexians in recent years, the latter perhaps also being a name for fans of the Vectrex machine. We're talking about how he programmed all of these games and the various other aspects of the packages these games come in, such as the silk screen overlays, and the oversized boxes the games are shipped in. To give you a flavour of the sound of Christoph's games, here's an extract from the chiptunes version of Walking on the Moon by the Police, which plays in Vector Patrol.
you've released uh, three Vectrex games so far in recent years, Vectrexians, Vector Patrol and Vector Pilot, which are all adaptations, conversions of classic arcade games from the 1980s. How did this come about? How did you start making games like this for the Vectrex? Well, I'm a kid uh, of the of the 80s, so <laughs> of the golden uh, years of the arcades, and uh, I had some fond memories on particular games, notably uh, Galaxian, notably uh, Time Pilot and Moon Patrol. And so when I was starting with Vectrex, uh, I had a lot of ideas of, of porting these games to uh, to the Vectrex, um, mm. because yeah, well, how nice would it have been back in the day if we... Uh, would have these uh, amazing games also having them available on um, the Vectrex system back mm. in the 80s, which never occurred for whatever reasons. So it was my intention to, to port these games um, to the Vectrex for uh, nostalgia reasons, uh, mm. uh, mainly actually. When it comes down to how did I become involved in Vectrex developing, uh, well, it started uh, mid of the 90s, actually. I just gradu- graduated from uh, from university, and I studied electronics, and I became quite passionate about microcontrollers though, back in those days, actually. And when I opened uh, the Vectrex, that was also before the in- we had internet access, uh, I noticed that there was uh, Motorola, processor inside, uh, 6809, which was one of my favorite processors. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, okay, this is nice. This is a nice discovery. Uh, it would be nice to, to develop something on, on the Vectrex actually for that. Mm. But it, I never had the time in those days, in the middle of the 90s, to, to uh, reverse engineer more or less what was all going on uh, in the Vectrex. Until then, a few years later, that was, I think, 96 or 97. Yeah, we had our first night on the Internet. That was a, <laughs> a complete uh, yeah, new experience, actually. And uh, right away, we came on the website of John Donzilla, of course, uh, the first uh, homebrew programmer on the Vectrex. And also on the website uh, from Fred Taft, who did a magnificent work on reverse engineering the the onboard BIOS ROM uh-huh. uh, chip. And uh, so we downloaded uh, the reverse engineering uh, source codes of the Vectrex. And that was the beginning of the journey, actually, hmm. uh, how it all started. So it started somewhere in 96, 97, uh, yeah, my Vectrex development, actually. Hmm. It's interesting that the three games you've chosen, I mean, they're they're brilliant games and you've done amazing conversions for the Vectrex, but it feels like you kind of set yourself a challenge to start off with because these were games that were made from pixels in the arcade. And so you've had to convert them to vectors as opposed to a lot of the other Vectrex games, which are conversions of games that were already made during vectors. So that seemed to be far more of a challenge if you're going to choose any game that you're going to convert for the machine. Yeah, I was not that um, afraid of, uh, let's say, uh, converting pixel images to, to vector images. Okay. okay, there are some trade-offs, of course, uh, like we don't have colors uh, to colorize um, uh, every object in the way that it is with a pixel game. But yeah, when I was taking a look at the, the images or the, the sprites of, of a Galaxian or a Time Pilot, I said, yeah, it's doable to... to yeah, to draw vector lines over it actually, and use that then as an uh, as an image. So I never 
it had the I never saw it as an obstacle more or less uh, of of porting a sprite based or a pixel based game to to the backtracks. Hmm. And I also have to confess that arcades were not that represented well here in Belgium hmm. um, back in the day. I mean, definitely not uh, today, actually. But also back in the day, you had to go almost go to, to the big cities or to the, to, uh, the seaside to, to find some arcades. Hmm. And uh, we had an arcade in my local town, where my, in my hometown, actually. But that was more based on, on pixel uh, pixel games, pixelized games, vector games were not that represented well back in the day. Hmm. I do remember that they had a, a Star Castle arcade cabinet and also a Battle Zone, hmm. which were really, really impressive games. So, But that was it, actually. Tail Gunner or Red Baron, I never saw that back in the day until I found it out so that it existed on the internet. <laughs> uh, I found it out. But, but I never saw those games in action, actually. Um, back in the day. Mm. So my, my memories or my, my childhood was most of the time, of course, uh, pixel arcade games, which I played. Of course, the Battle Zone as well, but it was so intimidating, that game, uh, to play <laughs> it as a, as a young kid, actually. And my main memories were uh, really the pixelized games. Hmm. And I've played Vector Patrol and Vector Pilot. I just find the the amount of graphics that you're throwing about on screen absolutely astonishing. If you compare your games to almost all of the other games that have been programmed for the Vectrex, you've got far more going on at any one time on screen than almost any other programmer. So uh, what is it that you've done in order to manage to get that level of complexity on screen? Yes, there's only one... one, um one answer to it uh, <laughs> trying and trying and trying and repeating uh, things again and again until they are fast enough and uh, that's why it takes uh, why I spend all so much time uh, on a game not, not that's not the only reason I also have not much uh, free time available uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah you can you can write it my, my personal experience is when I write some code uh, that is doing something uh yeah, it is working, but then uh, it's tweaking and optimizing that takes more of the time, actually. And sometimes I rewrite or refactor some parts of the code entirely mm. until we reach that, that optimal result, actually. But there's really a lot of time involved in that process, actually, of uh, finding new techniques or new sequences of instruction that you have to feed to the to the Vectrex uh, PR chip, uh, the one that drives the, the vector generator. You Every day, even now, uh, I'm now more than 10, 10 years busy, even now, uh, today, I, I found sometimes some new techniques and then uh, optimizing or speed optimizing some stuff. Hmm. So again, it's really take the time necessary for it, and then you definitely find here and there some optimization optimizations that you can do. Hmm. That's that's the only answer I, I can uh, give actually. Okay. It's, um, use yeah, repeat until you are satisfied. With yeah. It. Another thing which I can say, which I have to emphasize, really, I know it's there is a debate going on uh, in, the, in the different groups actually to play with or without an overlay, but I would definitely say use the overlay because the overlay helps us. It's a trick. Some colors, you might have noticed it, that if you remove the overlay with, for example, a Vectraxians, 
if you remove the overlay and see it in a raw vector graphics or black and white, you will also notice that the flicker increases. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, some colors, the overlay helps your eyes in smoothening the, the flicker. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm not claiming that my games are 50 hertz, uh, like some <laughs> say, yeah. But the overlay might help you in uh, reducing the, the flicker. Mm. And some colors are better than others. My personal experience uh, is that blue and, and green are very good colors to remove or to reduce the flicker. Mm. So that's also a trick, of course. Well, and it's interesting that you've also not so much now because obviously your games have sold in numbers in, you know, in recent years. But when you first started selling your games, you actually brought out additions that had more than one overlay. So actually the person who buys it can then choose what colors they're going to see on screen. And it's really interesting that when you look at, you know, the various people who are making Vectrex games, there's a whole different variety of kind of deluxe editions. There are people who release their games only on the internet, so you can only play them in emulators or have to put them onto flashcards. There are people who just bring out the PCBs. There are people who put them into shells. There are people who bring out overlays. But again, your releases have been a really nice package as well, that the game is in a nice box. It comes with an overlay. It comes with a sleeve, you know, on the outside. So it feels that in terms of producing an entire package, that's something that you're interested in as well, that when someone buys one of your games, it feels like they're actually buying a really nice product. I always remembered in, from my professional uh, experiences, all my professional uh, career actually, that people, there was a statement, some, some uh, product management once said, people want to have the box. <laughs> Even if you make software, they want to have it in a box some, somehow. And it made sense actually say so, yeah why not presenting it in a box also as a transportation medium mm. I, I use regular post and the, the box how it's placed now inside it was big enough to also hold the overlay because the overlay was actually it was actually on on dimensions it was a problem actually uh, usually, uh initially i was also planning to use just a vhs cassette uh, mm. clamshell I have to put the game inside, but they are too small to to hold also an overlay inside. And then I stumbled on a website, or I don't remember where or how it happened, but I, then I stumbled on these media boxes, that, which are a little bit bigger. They're actually used to hold a jewel case uh, CD uh, box or shell, clamshell inside. So and um, we uh, made some foam to put that inside instead, and that foam then is just a cavity to hold the the cartridge of the Vectrex. Mm. Yeah, they're quite flexible these boxes. Uh, if if uh, if there is a new game or if I have to make uh, if, if there ever is a, a new game, uh, I just let print some uh, new inlays and I put them uh, inside. And uh, but the box itself always remains the same. Mm. Uh, I know that um, there is uh, and really nice. Uh, there is a late, uh, yeah, lately there is a trend of um, other uh, homebrewers who are making really nice original Vectrex boxes and, and mm. cardboards. Uh, I have to look at that because <laughs> it's really nice to see. But I didn't at the time yet to to uh, to look at this. Mm. So at the moment, I'm I'm still using these media boxes. Mm. But presenting my game with an overlay was really uh, mandatory for myself, I found. It was really important that there is an overlay inside along with, with the game because it really makes the game complete, actually. Mm. The overlay is really very important. Mm. And it's interesting that when you make your games, as well as 
them being an accurate reproduction of the original arcade, you also add additional kind of tweaks and Easter eggs. For example, I've not yet got to the point in Vector Patrol where you can play as a cowboy, but I've read about uh, the fact that you can do so. And also the fact that you've got this lovely um, chip-tune version of Walking on the Moon by the police included Mm -hmm. in the game as well. So when you convert the original game what then is the sort of thought process when you're thinking well what else can i add to make my version special it's randomly i mean uh, <laughs> i first of all the yeah, porting the arcade is, is the main uh, goal and uh, after that i uh, just take a look at how many uh, kilobytes are remaining of my 64 kilobytes uh, memory mm. uh, and nowadays we can go also to 128 and Malban even succeeded in uh, increasing that number again. So, but still, till now, my focus was always 64 kilobytes. Mm. And I just take a look then, okay, what do I have left and what can we put inside? That can be uh, additional tunes, that can be uh, some small cutscenes which are pre rendered and uh, uh, 3D uh, vector lists um, and put inside. It's random. Sometimes I have uh, I have I had a bug in the, during the development, which was so cute and, and funny to see that uh, hey, let's do that. Let's put it in as a feature. For example, the the tail gunner mode in the Vector Pilot, or the uh, reverse mode in Vector Pilot. So that 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 was all by coincidence discovered to, during the development uh, that, that something was not correctly coded. Uh, the tail gunner mode means that you can shoot. The, the 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 bullets uh, on the rear of the plane instead of the the nose of the plane mm. uh, while flying backwards yeah <laughs> that's when, when my my um, rise run rise and run uh, values were uh, inverted and then I was flying backwards and uh, <laughs> so these are uh, things yeah that that just come at ad hoc uh, yeah I decide uh, what can be put inside with Moon Patrol or Vector Patrol. The cowboy. I always I I did this with the vector pilot that you can unlock um, new airplanes or other airplanes which are more actually just the the enemy airplanes that you can unlock hmm. with the vector pilot. I was thinking, yeah, maybe we can do the same thing with, with vector patrol. That there are other vehicles inside that you can unlock, and. I think one of my friends, he said, uh, why can't you make something uh, with a horse and a cowboy <laughs> that it's really riding uh, on the surface? Of, oh, yeah, <laughs> nice idea. But uh, it took a while, actually, to make the animation uh, mm. of the, the horse. Um, I think it turned out quite well, actually, with the cowboy and the horse, because the the trick with the, the cowboy is that you can also shoot the vertical bullets. Uh, you can also shoot them diagonally. Uh, <laughs> maybe you saw it on some uh, YouTube footage. And that's interesting. Yeah, that might be an advantage actually uh, when playing it. But yeah, to unlock the cowboy, you really have to go far into the gameplay. You have to uh, sit sit down uh, for an afternoon, I would <laughs> say, and play. I think it is level seven or level eight wow. that you have to reach. It's it's not getting more and more difficult uh, because there's just like the arcades, there is the beginner scores, of course. And then there is the champion's course. When you succeed the champion's course, level three then is again the champion's course. It's a loop, actually. To keep on uh, repeating the champion's course uh, with a little bit increasing difficulty, but not much. But all the 
the the pitfalls or the the the, the AI and and the map of the roads, it's always the, the champions course, which is repeated over and over. Hmm. So and by doing that, yeah, I think it's doable to to reach level eight or level seven. I'll you just have to keep credit. practicing. <laughs> you have to keep practicing. That's true. Yes, keep practicing. <laughs> But yeah, you, you can also win some credits. You you have to use the continues for sure. Mm. I also cannot uh, do it with one credit. So there are continues built in just like the original arcade. So you have to use that in order to reach uh, level seven or level eight. You spoke about um, working with 64K as kind of like the, the basic unit of um, memory that you have to program. I spoke to Chris Malcolm earlier, and he was talking about the limits of 32K. So presumably, at least having double that made it a lot easier for you to make these games. And I guess going forward, being able to double that again will make it easier to increase the complexity. So yes, 32K, that's right. It was uh, a long time. That was the limitation of the addressable space on the Vectrex. But even already back in the 80s, the, the designers, they knew that um, that 32K was uh, more or less the addressable space for the external memory for or your cartridge. But they have foreseen also some extra I.O. pins that also are fed to the cards, uh, notably the famous PB6 pin, which is uh, a, a, a pin from the from the PIA chip, uh, and that one is used uh, very often to communicate with an external serial E-square prom that w- that allows you to save your high scores or to uh, store calibration data. Mm. But you can use also that pin then if you have an extra pin, then it means that you can double your memory. You can use that pin also to switch between two banks of 32K. And that's what everybody is doing nowadays. We Actually, your your program is area is 32 kilobytes, but by by using additional pins, you can you have multiple banks, memory banks of 32 kilobytes. So you can switch between them mm. by setting those pins uh, accordingly. You can jump from memory bank to memory bank, but each memory bank is 32 kilobytes. I know now I, uh, uh, that Melbourne with Vector Blade, he adapted the address decoding a little bit on the vec- on the, the card's PCB itself, that he can address a memory bank, uh, that his memory banks are not 32 kilobytes, but 48 kilobytes. It is doable, but you need extra hardware. <laughs> you need some extra logical logic gates to be soldered on your PCB and then you can address 48 kilobytes in one mm. one stroke. But so, even when we're talking about these numbers 32k 64k yeah. it's still only a tiny amount of space that you're working with. So I guess you know when you're programming you have to be kind of very elegant in what you're doing that there's no unnecessary code to use that yeah. amount of space. Yeah. But believe me, if you are writing an assembly language, it takes a while to fill 32 kilobytes really? with okay. code. Huh. If, if it's really code, if it are vector lists or 3D uh, pre-rendered lists, then then the the uh, the kilobytes are consumed quite quickly. That's for sure. But if you really want writing subroutines and functions, it it takes a while to fill 32 kilobytes. Okay. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, you're right, it's our limited footprint, but uh, we have a very good onboard processor, a very efficient processor that uses the instructions very efficiently. And uh, as a result, uh, yeah, code size is uh, quite okay, I would say. For for example, um, 
with Vectraxians is also 64K. My, my first game, Vectraxians, is also a 64K, so two memory banks of 32 kilobytes. And the whole game itself is just in one memory bank. Hmm. The second memory bank is used for the 3D, small uh, 3D cutscene at the beginning and also at the end when we reach level 20 and also to store some AI chip tunes inside. Mm. But uh, the game itself is all in on one memory bank. The, the same applies also for vector pilots. The game itself is also in one memory bank of 32 kilobytes and um, the second memory bank is holding uh, the 3D cutscenes and the, the, the chip tunes. Wow. With Vector Patrol, there I had to extend it. Uh, the game, the game itself is, is divided in the two memory banks because it was uh, getting too much. There are a lot of extra. Well, there are more vector lists inside. Uh, for example, if you see Vector Patrol when you play it, so just the normal gameplay. The game, most of the game is in the first memory bank, but the, the backgrounds, like the mountains and the, or the city, uh, that's in another memory bank. Mm. So I have to switch. I, I'm switching per frame between two memory banks. Wow. But that's, that's okay. Uh, I mean, that's, um, that was necessary. Mm. Otherwise, it wouldn't, yeah, I could not achieve that. Well, and obviously, it's something that the machine can do quickly because it doesn't seem to yeah. slow it down or cause any additional flicker. Yes, it's just uh, setting one IO pin from one to zero or vice versa, and then you are in the other bank. Mm. Of course, you have you know, you have to know where you have to arrive in that other bank because when you change it, I open your address counter or, or program counter is is at that same place. So, in the other bank, there must be some mirrored code which is doing the same thing. Otherwise, your program will crash. Hmm. But yeah, you have to know that, and it's doable for <laughs> sure. You've created three games so far, and there's mention on your website of your work on another two, a conversion of um, Gallagher and a conversion of Gyrus. What kind of timescale are we looking at for those new releases? Oh, there are more games, I think, on my, my old... Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, there is a conversion of Q-Birds. Oh, wow. Which is, I think, is the closest one to release. Ah. But we're talking really in years, in terms of years. It's okay. really nothing for the uh, for this year and also not for next year, uh, because my free time has recently re reduced again, uh, has been reduced. But again, I'm still busy on it, um, mm. and people know that in the meanwhile, that, uh, yeah, but I'm a slow guy, so it takes <laughs> time. It takes time, yeah. So we have uh, a Qbert uh, clone called Vector Hopper. We have the Gyrus, the Vectras is also in, yeah somewhere. <laughs> it's already long, long, long time ago that I worked on that one, but that's that was postponed. Exarian, that's Vectorian. That's one of my good friends uh, from Greece, Gioanas, his favorite. I still have to work on that one as well. <laughs> so, George, if you hear this, you're not forgotten, believe me. <laughs> also one of my favorite arcades, Exarian. So, um, but yeah, we need to find time. What else? So we have Sector Hopper, Exarian, Gyrus, or Vectras. Those are the three ones that are, yeah, in, in the pipeline. But okay. it takes a while. Yeah. I made already also some overlays for... Um, uh, a 1943 clone ah. called Mid Midway Battles, but that's really long-term project, definitely. Okay, I certainly look forward to all of those. And in the meantime, I guess your three games uh, will stay in print. And I read something about how you were running out of overlays for Vextrexions, but presumably there's enough to continue selling it for the immediate future. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 whole thing is that I had a very good relationship with a, a silk screen printer because you know the the original overlays and the overlays of some other home brewers are also made in with a technique called silk screen printing. Ah. Um, yeah, so I had a very good um, business relationship with, with the printer, um, but he retired, and so he retired, and I'm still in the process of looking for another printer. And it's quite a difficult process here in Belgium to find a printer that is willing to to print this these things. Actually, hmm. uh, I don't know; they they don't see the interest, or they, they maybe it's a, a too difficult process for them, but it is doable. But uh, yeah, and silk screen printing is also uh, an area that is not that popular anymore in the printing world. Apparently, here in Belgium, it's all they all go to digital printing and uh, whatever. Mm. So, I'm still in the process for looking for another printer. But through the Vectrakins overlays that I have left are second quality overlays, so I call it. They have some imperfections, but yeah, like like here and there, a small scratch which is outside of the the play field zone. Hmm. Or a small area that is not printed really on a, uh, a millimeter scale or or even less. But again, if you put the overlay in front of the screen, you will not notice uh, anything at all actually about that. Sure. So and um, in in the terms or in the light of the the recent vector war, uh, the announcement that Vectrexins <laughs> uh, will also be uh, part of that uh, contest. Yeah, people have been addressing me again uh, and asking if they could buy it, even with this second quality overlays. And I said, oh, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> well, it's, yes it's still available. And um, yeah, so um, nice. people are waiting now for their copies to arrive. <laughs> Great. And it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. Likewise. We do the best we, we can, I always say. It takes time, I know, so people... Uh, <laughs> The people out there, uh, please be patient with me. But most of them, they know that they have to be patient with me. But yeah, we're still busy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You can find more information about Christoph Tut's Vectrex games by going to Christoph's Vectrexgames.be. That's K R I S T O F S V E C T R E X Games.be. And Vectrexians, Vector Patrol, and Vector Pilot are still all available for order from his website. Unfortunately, you're unlikely to get Vectrexians in time for this year's International Play or Vectrex Day on Sunday, but all of his games are still well worth a purchase as terrific examples of the new homebrew titles released for such a classic games machine. If you'd like to know more about the Vectrex, you can join the Facebook group facebook.com stroke groups stroke vectrex and you can find more information on the competitions international play your vectrex day and vector war x which lasts from halloween till november the 7th by going to vectorgaming.proboards.com or go to our blog www.panelborders.wordpress.com and follow the links you can buy secondhand Vectrexes on secondhand sites such as Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace, and eBay, with prices ranging from just under £200 to fully boxed, mint condition versions of the Vectrex running into the thousands. New games for the Vectrex, such as those by Binary Star Software, average at around £20 to £25, with some of the rarest titles again reaching thousands. If you'd like a free version of playing the Vectrex, 
You can download a Vectrex emulator for the iPad, which comes with half a dozen free games, and then you have to pay for copies of the original titles. Or there's a version of the Vectrex which will play in a browser and can be found at twitchasylum.com stroke J-S-V-E-C-X where you can drag and drop any of the free homebrew games for the Vectrex that have been released in recent years and these titles can be found dotted across the internet and on the Vectrex Facebook group. Today's clear spot, Vectrexians, was recorded, presented and edited by Alex Fitch and is a Panel Borders production. Available early in November will be an extended podcast version of today's show in which you can hear the two programmers talk in more depth about using EEPROMs and the 32k segments of data storage on the Vectrex and Zara will be discussing more of the links between games and comics in her work. If you enjoyed my interview with Zara Slattery at the start of the show, then please tune in to my monthly radio show about comic books, Panel Borders, which is broadcast on the first Wednesday of every month. For fans of the crossover between video games and comic books, you can find interviews with the likes of Scott Pilgrim author Brian Lee O'Malley and Level Up author Jean Luen Yang. Go to our blog www.panelborders.com wordpress.com and follow the links. And if you're looking for a new title about video games in the comic book medium, the graphic novel Gamish by Edward Ross has just been released and is available in all good comic shops. To play out today's show, here's another example of chiptune music found on the Vectrex, the theme for Every Day is Halloween by Binary Star Software's Chris Malcolm. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.